Fuck. My name is Dave Keating. I'm a journalist based in Brussels, and I'm coming at you from the Euractive Studios live in the EU quarter, where we are. Uh, we have a live audience here in the room, as well as you watching at home. Now, we know that right now in Brussels, everyone's focus is on the war in Ukraine. And as the war rumbles on, policymakers in Europe are looking for ways to urgently reduce dependence on Russian fossil fuels. As they deliberate, the answer may be all around them, in the very buildings that they're sitting in. Buildings are one of the largest sources of energy consumption. They account for 40% of the EU's final energy consumption and 36% of its greenhouse gas emissions. Now, boosting their energy performance and moving to low-carbon forms of energy could greatly reduce the amount of fossil fuels needed, and that would help the EU's efforts to fight climate change while also increasing Europe's energy security. As part of its Fit for 55 package put out last year to implement the goals of the EU Green Deal, the European Commission has proposed a recast of the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive, the EPBD. The recast would increase the rate and depth of buildings' renovations, improve information on energy performance and sustainability of buildings, and ensure that all buildings will be in line with the 2050 climate neutrality requirements. It therefore could be a powerful tool within the Commission's Repower EU plan to reduce dependency on Russian fossil fuels. The Commission is expected to adopt the legislative proposals for the Repower EU plan tomorrow. Electrification of heating and cooling in buildings is also an important component here, since it would facilitate the switch from fossil fuel boilers to more sustainable electric solutions. The EPBD revision also stresses the need to develop e-mobility by implementing recharging points in buildings for electric vehicles, particularly to support smart charging. Today, we'll be talking about how the EPBD can best contribute to all these climate and energy security goals, and we'll also talk about what the technical challenges and solutions are to increasing building efficiency. Perhaps most importantly, we'll be talking about how we can increase citizens' awareness of how improving their housing's carbon footprint can also save them money at a time when a lot of people are struggling with rising energy prices. So now let me introduce to you our panel of experts that we've assembled to talk about this issue today. We have Bryce Lalonde, president of the Equilibre des Energies, a nonprofit decarbonization platform for stakeholders in the energy, construction, and mobility sectors. We have Marianne Giola Fabri, head of research buildings perform head of research and buildings performance, head of research at the Buildings Performance Institute of Europe, BPIE. Welcome. We have Erki Maillard, Senior Vice President for European Affairs at the French energy company EDF. And we have Stefan Moser from the European Commission's Energy Department. On your agenda, you'll have Paula Pinho. Uh, she unfortunately was unable to join us today. As I mentioned at the beginning, it's a very, very busy time uh, for uh, the Commission as they are preparing all of these different things. So we're very lucky that, Stefan, you were able to uh, come in and join us today. Now, you guys at home will be able to ask your questions to the audience using Slido. You can see the uh, field to do that there on your screen. Also, you all here in the audience you can also ask your questions on Slido. You should have the code there at your seats. Put those questions in, whether you're watching at home or in the room. I'll see them here on the screen, and I'll be putting your questions to the panelists at the end of the panel. So 
let's go ahead and get started. Stefan, I'd like to start with a question for you. Uh, obviously, everyone's really closely watching uh, this, this piece of legislation. What can the Commission do, what can the EU do, through a revised EPBD to improve the existing regulatory framework that would, in a way that would support the decarbonization process in the building sector? Thanks a lot, uh, Dave, and uh, good afternoon to all of you. Very happy to be here. So the, uh, the EPBD recast is uh, to indeed uh, provide the uh, regulatory tools and um, to, to, uh, to speed up uh, decarbonization, but also energy security uh, needs and energy dependence needs, um, uh, which we have now increasingly um, been facing in Europe uh, with, the, uh, with the tragic aggression by Russia against Ukraine. But, uh, of course, we had energy security always on the agenda, energy independence, reduction uh, of um, imports of fossil fuels. And, uh, as you said, Dave, the, uh, the heating uh, and cooling um, um, needs of the EU are, to a large degree, um, um, still served by, by fossil fuels. Um, and uh, and the, uh, the building sector is just such a huge chunk in the overall energy consumption that this is uh, um, um, wh where we really need to make, pro make progress. Um, so, um, of course, buildings policy is not um, uh, newly invented, invented now. It's, it's, it's a kind of recast. It's an, a further development of the existing framework uh, with the main objective now to, uh, to speed up to more than double um, the uh, existing renovation rates and to deepen them. Uh, through um, uh, better information tools uh, and planning tools. Uh, for instance, we would like to uh, improve the, uh, uh, the national plans as the, the relevant framework on which everyone, stakeholders, any actor can rely on, uh, identifying the barriers and the ways how to overcome those barriers, including capacity constraints, social issues, um, skills uh, the, the, and, and then uh, the financial support, technical support, that everything is clearly enshrined. Uh, also, what are the national objectives? And that basically we use these plans up front uh, also to compare across the borders what are the good practices and to have a kind of review mechanism in place that we, uh, we make sure that we look at the plans uh, before they are finalized and then they are improved as much as we can. So that's um, a reflection of the fact that member states will remain in the driving seats, of course, also in the future. Um, but we have noticed a number of weaknesses so far, which have um, somehow had a negative impact on the effectiveness of building policy. Uh, one is the, uh, the quality of information, really, um, in the energy performance certificates, but also the lack of, I would say, a strategic approach uh, when it comes to individual buildings. Often, a renovation is uh, triggered by a, a particular need, um, safety, aesthetics, um, uh, a sudden leak, um, for instance, but, but often not in a comprehensive manner. And that is actually ex exactly what we would like to change, that there's a, a clear sense of direction being established also with a new vision of, uh, of zero emission buildings, uh, recognizing that um, uh, a large part uh, of the improvements to a building will be on energy efficiency, um, making sure that the energy needs of the building are reduced. But this is not the only part uh, that we integrate that with the renewable energy agenda, that renewable energy will be used for the remainder, for the, for the energy needs which remain for building, and that there's a kind of optimization between the two. That is uh, definitely recognized now with the vision of a zero emission building. Uh, and then also we would uh, like to have a, a much higher degree of deep renovations in a structured uh, manner, 
um, through building renovation passports, which allow uh, to uh, address renovations step by step, but in a compatible manner that uh, you don't lock in um, uh, a building by having done something and then you can't really touch the rest anymore, but that you think how you address it step by step. Um, minimizing the negative impacts on inhabitants, but also uh, making sure that from a financial and technical perspective, this is best addressed. And then, of course, we have uh, the, um, uh, as you mentioned, the mobility needs uh, linking with the alternative fuel infrastructure regulation, which is on the table as well, making sure that we have enough recharging infrastructure outside the building in the public space, but also inside the buildings. Also, mobility needs on on um, on. Uh, bikes, for instance, on, on other forms of transport. Um, and then, uh, of course, the, the very important issue of, um, of system integration, uh, energy system, making sure that renewable energy is um, um, primarily produced on site or in locally organized forms uh, in order to minimize the, the need to expand the grid to reduce the burden on the grid. And also what we have uh, proposed, and, and that is considered by, by many as the, the main element, is actually an accelerator to address the worst performing buildings through minimum energy performance standards, um, which are not basically, uh, I would say, now a uniform EU mechanism to uh, rectify the, the weaknesses of the entire EU building stock, but rather make sure that there's a specific attention given to the worst performing buildings and to prioritize them um, within an ambitious time schedule so that basically um, things which have to be done anyway will be done up front as quickly as possible. Um, but uh, that uh, the, uh, the worst performing buildings are identified at the national level thanks to uh, the energy performance certificates to uh, classifying the buildings with the aim of, of being able to prioritize, to, to really um, put the money and the efforts where the, the biggest benefits are generated. And of course, there we have then the big social dimension also, that we, we have very strong public goods character of, of building renovations, um, improving living conditions for citizens, uh, the climate energy policies more broadly, but also uh, safety issues of, of the building, accessibility, um, um, serving um, the, 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 the urban development also in terms of greening cities. So that is very important to, to keep the, the perspective in the sense that synergies are generated and, uh, and that we have uh, a strategic approach to that um, involving as much as possible citizens um, and in an active manner that basically the, uh, the needs and the, uh, the objectives are defined through basically um, local uh, initiatives and uh, very strong hand-in-hand -hand coordination with the municipal planning authorities. Great. Thanks a lot, Stefan. It's interesting what you say about the renovations not being comprehensive and that being a problem, that it's kind of these spot fixes, right? One thing goes wrong and you just fix that thing. And if you can find a framework which encourages people to actually do a systemic renovation, it's a lot better for the whole system. Um, Merangiola, let's turn to you next. You've been researching uh, these issues. Tell us a little bit about how important buildings are to decarbonization efforts overall. Well, you mentioned how much they consume and how much greenhouse gas emissions they, they emit. So it, it, they are clearly a key component. And a, f a year ago, a year and a half ago, we, we started really looking at how much the contribution of buildings uh, was against the, the upgraded greenhouse gas emissions targets for 2030. And uh, which is now at 55%. And they, um, our estimate was that buildings really could contribute to 60% of those reductions. And in order to achieve that, 
we do have a sort of a recipe um, that is uh, quite obvious uh, to those working in buildings and, and simple in, in its formulation, but it has been debated for, for a number of years. So first of all is really making sure that we minimize the needs that the energy uh, the energy needs of the building by really um, providing a high energy performance, and then that we supply the remaining energy needs through um, renewable energy, as, as Stefan um, just uh, just mentioned. Um, from that perspective, um, re renovating building becomes really an, an, an essential um, issue because the new builds in the EU um, is is a very small proportion. And so really making sure that we do renovate our buildings, and in our estimates, which should really go up to 3% um, uh, of, annual renovation, uh, of annual renovation rates. But this, is, this becomes really an, an, essential, an essential element. But buildings serve a number of purposes. Um, and, and so when we do renovate a building, we also have to consider not only what needs to be done to minimize our energy needs, but also what needs to be done to make sure that the comfort that they provide, that the quality of life that they provide, and also the role that they have in allowing um, the strong decrease of energy poverty that is still existing in the EU is, um, is, taken in, is taken into account. From that perspective, making sure that when a renovation is scheduled, takes into account uh, not only the right sequence of steps that needs to be made to make sure that we do not do an intervention today that might um, hamper and successive, uh, a successive uh, renovation a few years later through the use of building renovation passport, for example, is absolutely essential. And at the same time, we have to make sure that we can provide that information to, uh, to those who in the buildings live <laughs> and those who own the buildings. So it is absolutely important to give agency to the building owners to provide not only that information, but also the really the, the policy framework, the tools that they need to make sure that the, the moment that they have faced with that decision, they have everything they need in terms of information, policy support, and financing to actually do it, and do it in a way that it's most beneficial to them, and it's most of the beneficial to the reduction of the energy needs and, and the greenhouse gas emissions that are linked to the buildings. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting point about how, I mean, you can have new buildings with all of these great energy savings potential, but the new buildings are actually a pretty small proportion of what we have with our building stock, and so renovation is really is really key. Okay, let's turn to you. Uh, when we're looking at the draft text that's now on the table, um, do you think that what we have on the table is up to the challenge? Very good text. It's, uh, let's uh, say it uh, directly. I think it's a very good proposal. Um, uh, it's ambitious. Um, when you look at the targets, uh, it's uh, practical. Uh, I think uh, Stefan uh, already explained how member states uh, will be empowered, but also uh, citizens and consumers. Uh, and also, I think there is a very positive uh, evolution towards more electrification uh, of uses. Um, look at mobility, for example. You have uh, pre-cabling into uh, buildings, and this is, this is something uh, clearly uh, very positive because we know that uh, electric vehicles are, I mean, the 
uh, electric engine is more effective, efficient than a thermal uh, engine. Uh, and I think the biggest change, in a way, and the, the most positive one, is this idea that uh, we should look not only at energy efficiency, but we should have this CO2 compass, and we should also reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and this is now clearly written uh, into Article 2, if I'm correct, uh, of, uh, of the directive, and that, that's very positive. Of course, we can always improve the text. Uh, uh, I would, uh, I would uh, underline a few, a few of them. Uh, one, I think, uh, if we look at this CO2 compass, so to say, uh, if you want to really target the, the, the worst uh, buildings in terms of emission, because as it has been said, you have a lot of uh, existing buildings and they will stay here for more than 40 years. I think 70% of the stock will be still be there in 2050. So if you want to target the, the worst emitting uh, buildings in terms of, of CO2, we should incorporate this CO2 uh, 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 element into, into uh, the, uh, uh, the, the certificate, the uh, energy uh, efficiency certificate. Um, it should be part of the, of, the, uh, of the passport also that has been uh, put in place uh, and uh, integrated also in the proposed uh, mandatory uh, minimum energy performance standards. I think if we integrate this component into the standard, it will be an improvement. Then when you look at mobility, uh, I think there is a difference uh, in the text made uh, between um, residential and non-residential buildings. Uh, we think it's not necessarily uh, useful to make this distinction uh, between between the two, uh, and uh, 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 and also, uh, uh, and I think that's my last point, and we'll come back to that. But um, I think the, the the biggest issue uh, that we are facing with this uh, proposal is the fact that uh, it considers uh, when it looks at the energy, it's uh, the only energy. Uh, considered is uh, renewables and especially renewables on-site and we think it's not a cost-effective way and uh, to, to look at the issue uh, the you have a lot you have plenty of electricity without uh, CO2 on the grid and we should take this electricity into account for example you have uh, when you when you're in a residential building there is almost no consumption during the day because people are uh, at work so uh, the the solar panels are producing for the uh, for the grid uh, and then you during at night you will uh, you will use uh, the uh, energy from the grid and in in some countries you have low carbon electricity already available so it's we, we shouldn't uh, consider i mean it's it's a bit short sighted uh, approach uh, if you look only at uh, the uh, solar panels uh, on site which is which is good i mean it's uh, we should uh, roll out much more uh, renewables and and let me conclude maybe by saying that it's it's not only a good text because of energy efficiency and it, this has been said by by stefan by you also uh, when you look at uh, the uh, the uh, Russian aggression against uh, against Ukraine, um, logically you would say there is a combination, a positive combination of energy efficiency and uh, energy independence. But let's face it, it's not automatic. You can replace the import of fossil fuel from Russia by other fossil fuels. If you reduce the uh, energy uh, consumption uh, of buildings and, for example, you start to replace uh, gas boilers by uh, much uh, more efficient solutions like heat pumps, for example, you will, you will meet the two, uh, you, will, you, you will reach the two targets, you will meet both challenges to get rid of fossil fuel as a whole 
and have a better uh, a, a better consumption uh, result, and then I I you will see also the result on the, the the bill for the consumers. But I'm a bit afraid today when we l when we talk about the consequences of uh, Ukraine. I think there is a very good unanimity saying we should not get rid of climate targets, and which is perfectly fine. But it's not automatic. We, we 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 could we could be I mean in five years time from from now we could s be in a situation where we have uh, the same amount of fossil fuel into our economy we will build more gas infrastructure to replace to to get uh, more uh, gas from uh, from abroad and at the end of the day we will miss an opportunity to uh, to improve the rate of electrification to our economy and and have uh, uh, I think it's uh, it's the right time and this this text the EPBD is a, is a good tool to uh, to move into the right direction. You know, when you talk about the, the lifespan, it really drives home how different buildings are from vehicles, for instance, right? Because when a building is built, it's here until 2050, which we still think of as such a, a target that's so far away. And certainly we'll have all new vehicles on the streets by 2050, maybe above the streets, uh, who knows how vehicles will evolve, but the buildings will still be here. This building we're in right now will probably still be here in 2050. Uh, so it's really, uh, it, it's, it requires a lot more long-term thinking, doesn't it, buildings? Um, Bryce, you are talking to many of the different stakeholders here. I'll put the same question to you. What do you make of the text, the draft text that's now on the table? Well, the there is a big improvement from the first draft, greenhouse gases reduction. What's the cause of climate change? Greenhouse gas emissions. So if you don't concentrate on reducing greenhouse gases, you're not going to make it. And so as we are happy to have this new emission reduction dimension, now we should see if the tools are aligned on that dimension. And it's not, not exactly the case, in my view. First, the energy um, efficiency performance is measured in primary energy. Primary energy does not exist. It's a concept. Different from member states from to other member states. And it hinders electrification, because it only applies to electricity. So there is an handicap on electricity. And everywhere in France, for instance, I have this experience for the last thermal um, uh, regulation of houses, it's an incentive for natural gas. So at the moment where we try to escape from uh, dependency on, on Russia and Russian gas, it's a bit paradoxical, I would say, to have a regulation which is an incentive for natural gas. Second, I think, as um, Mr. Maillard said, uh, we have this energy certificate, but the reduction of greenhouse gas um, emission is not a compulsory dimension of these certificates. It's optional. Each country can do what it wants. It should be compulsory because, as I said, that's the main cause of climate change. And uh, in the end, uh, yes, it's true that we are quite surprised that on the one hand, this directive says each house or building should be sort of independent, it looked like a little island, depending on its own um, source of energy, a local on-site. And on the other hand, we have the uh, European Union say, hey, you must put more and more renewables, more and more low carbon in your networks. So <laughs> why is it that the houses would not be allowed to tap on the energy, on the low carbon or, or on the renewable sources of energy in the networks? Uh, either biogas in the, in the gas pipes, either uh, <laughs> um, renewable electricity or low carbon electricity on, on the electric grid. It seems inconsistent.
So these are the, the three main problems, weaknesses, I see uh, on this new directive, which, by the way, is much better than the first draft. To you, from the research perspective, we've been talking about Russia and how the drive to make uh, buildings more efficient and more electric uh, is going to intersect with the drive to lower uh, fossil fuel demand. From, from your research, uh, what, what's the potential there? How, are we able to really uh, quantify what that potential could be? Today, we published a short piece of research that we just did in the past few weeks um, to just have an idea about, about this. So we did, uh, we did look at eight member states with different shares of imports of gas, not only from Russia, different shares of imports of gas from, from different countries, and looked at what was the potential savings if we renovated, so walls and roofs, very simple measures on the envelopes, um, and we considered all the potential savings up to uh, uh, the minimum 20% energy savings because we wanted to make sure that we would include the largest part of the buildings and also the buildings with, with a slightly higher energy performance would be included because those will be renovated at some point in time anyways. And out of these eight, uh, for these member, eight member states, uh, on average, we, we found out that 45% of the final energy consumption can be saved and 44% of the gas consumption in, in the heating, in residential space heat, could be saved. This gives you a measure of how much buildings can contribute to really um, um, phasing off and phasing out fossil fuels. The priority is, of course, making sure that we reduce our dependence on Russian gas. But from the long-term perspective, from a climate perspective, and from an energy security perspective, we must make sure that we phase off fossil fuels full stop in the long term. And the, the most sustainable way of doing it, as I said before, is making sure that our buildings are built and renovated at a level where we minimize the, 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 the energy needs. Uh, that would allow supplying the remaining energy through renewables. I want to make a point clear. The decarbonization of buildings and decarbonization of heating and cooling cannot only mean electrification of heating and cooling. Um, reducing the, uh, uh, the energy needs and really improving the performance of the building allows a better um, uh, fit of the, the electrification into the buildings and a better fit of the use of renewable energy for this. But it's really, really important that these two elements go hand in hand. They cannot be put one against the other. Renewable, uh, en uh, renewable energy and reduction of energy demand must really go hand in hand. And um, they have to be really considered as the first and the most important, the priority steps that need to be taken uh, when looking at uh, the U-Save plan and the Repower the U and the recast of the energy performance of Buildings Directive, which I agree, uh, the, the, the text is that, that is now on the table is, is an improvement of what we were dealing with before, but um, years and years of research on how these texts were implemented and how, them, how difficult it is for member states to um, catch up, I would say, and maintain the ambition that the European Commission has put. It really requires 
even more courage when it comes to the text. And all the conversations that we're having now in regards to the Repower EU and regards of really the important role that buildings can have also in securing um, the, the energy supply um, across Europe should be included, cannot be dismissed. And so there are a number of, of improvements that can be done, uh, that can be done to, to the buildings. Um, Stefan mentioned them. Uh, we do have suggestions on how to, to be more ambitious and how to do them in a way that can be uh, more easily um, or faster, uh, quicker um, implemented. But um, the point is that we cannot really dismiss the important role that the buildings have also in terms of facilitating really the integration into the grid of renewable energy and the flexibility that it will be that it will be necessary we we cannot just simply thinking that we will increase the supply of electricity um, we do not live in an infinite um, in a world where the the resources are infinite so we need to make sure that we can use them smartly and that we really uh, also take into account what needs to be done to provide the just transition that is also part of, <laughs> of the EU objectives and it's also part of the Fit for 55. And making sure that buildings are properly renovated contributes to all of these objectives. have the balance right now between very short-term finding urgently new sources of fossil fuel and looking at these, I think particularly the existing proposals that came from Fit for 55, we're in a kind of weird situation here where we have proposals on the table. Uh, the commission is, I, I mean, I think we're now relying on the co-legislators to adjust these for the new reality if they need to be adjusted. So I guess my question to you is, do these proposals that have come out as part of Fit for 55 For the question, um, Dave, uh, so uh, I think uh, it's it's a co-responsibility of the Commission and the co-legislator. So the, the Commission can, and uh, if I may say so, will also tomorrow um, make such proposals, uh, at least mention ideas. Um, um, uh, and of course, uh, then this will be on the table of the, the ongoing legislation, legislative processes. Um, and of course, the, uh, the other two institutions, the, the European Parliament and the Council, can kind of their own initiative also draw conclusions from what they see as pressing needs. I think, um, if I may say so, we are um, uh, uh, pretty much in agreement uh, that a lot needs to be done very fast, um, and the member states broadly recognize that. Um, what What is the, the biggest obstacle is actually uh, the perceived um, constraints um, uh, in the uh, uh, economic capacity to deal with these challenges. Um, how much can we renovate? How, where do we get the people from material constraints? And that's something which was already a challenge uh, from before uh, the, the Russian aggression against Ukraine and which is now further aggravated if we want to accelerate. And I think that is the, the practical question which 
at least um, many actors, um, uh, including the member states, ask themselves, how do we actually manage? We have already put on the table, uh, even on a national basis, uh, very ambitious renovation programs and, and uh, deployed uh, massive resources. And um, in, in many cases, uh, member states simply say, we, we are simply struggling already. So how, how do we now um, further increase? And I think uh, what we are saying is that uh, uh, some of the constraints can be addressed through uh, a very strongly coordinated approach to to uh, um, invest, to invest in uh, more capacity in, in training. Uh, it's in principle an economic opportunity to have uh, such a high demand for uh, for, for, for activities which are useful, where we know what to do, uh, because that reduces unemployment or even takes it completely away. The question is then, how do we actually get the people, uh, possibly even into Europe from outside, because we don't have enough people anymore. But on the, uh, I see that more as, as actually also a huge opportunity. Uh, just a few years ago, we were talking about mass unemployment still yeah, from the economic crisis. This has basically gone away, as 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 I would say, as as a major concern because there are enough economic opportunities people need to be uh helped to train to uh, to uh, to get into uh, into for instance the building renovation sector not only for technical skills and and manual skills but also engineering architectural design digital skills so it's a huge opportunity which we which we have here and it requires a concerted effort across all actors to uh, to do that. But that, I think, is the the, the major uh, challenge, the practical question: how to do all that, um, and um, and 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 also, also, of course, the financial resources needed for it. Yeah? So, um, it's, which is which are also an investment uh, into the future, because we, at the same time as we invest, we uh, we have certainty that we reduce our future exposure to to shocks, to price shocks on the energy markets and, of course, re reduction of, of bills for, for, for imported energy. Um, Eric, I wanted to ask you, follow up on something that Marianne Triola said about electrification, that we don't have an infinite supply and that we can't completely rely on electrification for uh, improving the building stock. Would you agree with that characterization? And how do we get the balance right between efficiency measures and electrification? Well, I would say uh, uh, the answer could be one word, it's uh, the heat pumps. I'm not saying it's the trump card and you can solve uh, every problem, but uh, the beauty of it is that you have both energy efficiency and renewables when you, you use the heat pumps. Uh, a heat pump is uh, three to five times more efficient, you know, than uh, it, it generates uh, more energy than it consumes, first of all, and it uses uh, renewable sources, the air, the water, or, or the ground. And uh, I would say it's, it's a no-regret solution in a way, in that respect, and I fully agree with, uh, with what has been said about the need to combine energy efficiency and the rollout of, of uh, renewables. And the heat pump is one of the solutions to move in, in into this direction. The second one uh, is also the, the uh, smart uh, uh, grid uh, deployment. Uh, we can use, uh, it's true for, uh, for heating system, but it's also true for uh, charging. And, and I'm glad that uh, the uh, EPBD recast is looking at smart charging and actually also V2G, uh, vehicle to grid. And this is also a source of flexibility. You've mentioned flexibility as a, 
as an important aspect to uh, uh, to master this uh, this challenge of the volume uh, of energy that will be used uh, for for buildings and using uh, these technologies such as smart charging will help us to move into uh, this uh, this direction uh, and I think there is a lot of um, uh, more than experiment actually uh, happening on the ground first of all to come back to heat pump heat pump is not uh, anymore a, a prototype it's I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's an industry uh, with a lot of people working on it. Most of them actually working uh, in Europe, in, in member states. I think the figure in France uh, is that we, we had uh, close to uh, half a, b a million of uh, heat pumps uh, deployed uh, last year. Uh, and uh, the, the difficulty here is more a question of uh, manpower, as uh, Stefan said, for the renovation. It's true, it's the same for, uh, for the deployment uh, of heat pumps. Um, but uh, but to sum it up, I agree. Uh, energy efficiency and electrification uh, goes uh, hand in hand, and uh, I think uh, supporting the deployment of uh, heat pumps is a good way to uh, move into this direction. Let's move on to some of the technical challenges that are being encountered now, uh, particularly with electrifying that you use building stocks in and bringing this electrification, including heat pumps, but also other solutions. So Bryce, when you are talking to stakeholders, what are the biggest frustrations you hear? What are the biggest technical challenges that need to be solved? Well, obviously, um, uh, for instance, heat pumps, uh, it's a little more expensive than normal solutions we had before. You have also technical challenges still in multiple family houses. It's still a little, little complicated, so you have to adapt uh, or perhaps have new regulations to, to, to have the, uh, the height of the house a, a bit higher <laughs> because you have to put the heat pump on top on the roof, things like that. You have, um, I would say, um, uh, storage perhaps, put batteries. Some countries put batteries in the houses to store electricity, so it's storage. You need probably also to have um, smart management, smart metering, uh, it's very important to know what's happening exactly and to be more and more, to save more and more electricity. Uh, and so, I mean, this is, I, I think, you know, it's also what you said, renewable heat is very important. We think also that uh, in the um, new regulations for houses, you could perhaps introduce uh, some, some things saying that all houses should be PV ready. All houses... I mean, even if the, if the owner does not decide to put photovoltaics, solar, electric uh, systems, at least the house should be ready to do it. You never know. And, and uh, later on, it could happen. So there's quite a lot of things like that which could be done, which will be helpful for the end, even if for the time being it seems perhaps uh, more expensive uh, for building the new houses or for renovating the old houses. But I, I, I don't see really major, major hindrances. I mean, the, the, the real problem is political. Um, if you want to, to fight climate change, you have to switch from fossil fuels. It's not only reducing energy consumption, it's also switching away from fossil fuels. And that must be at the center uh, of the regulations. Brangiola, would you agree that the biggest challenges are not technical, but rather political? I would say that the technical challenges are not the only one that needs to be taken into account, and very often there are solutions to technical challenges. Um, the, the 
when we do our research, and we did a lot of research in the past, when we um, developed the notion of building renovation passport, for example, we went and, and did surveys in the countries where we tried it out and to understand what were the, the really the difficulties that, that individuals had when deciding and taking decisions about renovating. And the technical barriers were not only the only the, not the only ones there were barriers that were in terms of access to information access to skilled workforce and and access to the products and the material but also uh, to a, a, a sort of re renovation service that was that was missing anyone who underwent a renovation in their own house know how cumbersome that can be and only little has to do with with technical uh, with technical issues. So I do agree that there is um, it's not only a political uh, problem, not at all. Uh, but I do believe um, that the um, the opportunity that is given now by the for 55 package and the recast of the EPBD is actually the best to make sure that we do address all the challenges that can be solved by political willingness. Uh, so that we give member states and we give uh, the, the 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 citizens that will have to live with that uh, with that legislation, the instruments and the knowledge that they need to make sure that they can take the right decisions. Because when we decide to renovate, having a building, we call them climate proof, no climate ready, uh, so that. Any intervention that I, I decide to do today in my house, I know that it's not going to be a problem when I decide to do another another intervention, whether it's in 10 years, 5 years, or 20 years. Um, it, it doesn't matter. We need to make sure that um, there is, the moment there is a decision to renovate, there are there is the information and there are the solutions, technical but also in terms of information that are needed to make sure that that decision um, is taken to the benefit of the owner, which also um, um, uh, equals and must equal to the benefit of the grid and the climate target. So it's really a, a systemic view that we need. So we cannot just break it into, into pieces. When we do break it into pieces, we have to make sure that Every piece contributes to the best of its capacity and equally doesn't hinder any future progress. So, Stefan, we've heard that the, the technical challenges are surmountable. We have record low unemployment, so the labor challenges should also be surmountable. The problem that's left is maybe the political challenges. You described some of the resistance from member states or the, the difficulties experienced by member states. How do we get over these political hurdles? Um, thanks. I, I, would, I would not uh, call them just political challenges. I think they are material challenges uh, which have to be addressed uh, on the one hand, of course, by, by very bold political decisions, but also then very strong economic and technical efforts. Um, so uh, I think it's, it's the... Uh, and, and, uh, and, and of course a concentration and activation of more resources. I think uh, it, it costs for the investment part, uh, very, very significant amounts of, of funds which have to be generated, which are investments, but nonetheless, it's a major effort. Yeah? So, and I think we need to recognize, and it's not just the member states who, who say that. I fully agree that these are very important challenges and it's very difficult to address them. Uh, and, but uh, now or never, basically, is the time to, uh, to sit around the table, basically, 
uh, develop very operational uh, national plans um, uh, with the best possible information basis which we can generate. Uh, and then to prioritize the resources for the for the biggest challenges, which is the worst performing buildings, but also the buildings where overall we uh, we uh, we get the biggest benefits in terms of reducing uh, the use of fossil fuels, uh, reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions from from the building stock, and and ensure that uh, that there's the best possible um, benefit for the citizens and for the for the broader development of society, uh, both from a social point of view, but also from the climate environment, uh, energy, uh, and transport, uh, and social agenda, basically, uh, which, which we have. So I think it's, 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 um, it all flows together, but what we need is, is a reference framework uh, to take away the uncertainty um, which, uh, which, which hinders investments, basically, because uh, those investing, rightly so, uh, have the legitimate expectation that they will make money that they will not lose money at least yeah and and i think they need to have a predictable framework um what are the policies what are the priorities established at national level but also european wide uh how do they uh, get certainty that the the, the bottlenecks like uh, skills shortages um shortage of people actually overall not just skills but simply the number of hands available to 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 renovations that the supply bottlenecks on, on important raw materials are overcome and how to do that. Yeah? So to, to have also then access, of course, to information, what would be possible uh, substitution products if ca in case there are uh, very important bottlenecks uh, on, on materials. How do we get over that? And, and how do we also make sure that we develop as much as possible uh, a circular economy uh, in the building sector that we don't waste any scarce resources which are already in the buildings and also new products which are put in the buildings. And, and I think that's extremely important uh, to have this cooperative approach, really. And I think we need to work at all levels. And all levels means also the citizens, the, the local level, um, and of course the national, regional and, and European levels with all stakeholders and, and have a very close consultation that something is not just dictated either from Brussels or from, uh, from the national capitals, but, but have a, a kind of... Um, integrated um, uh, and bottom-up um, 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 uh, consultation, really. What are the shared objectives uh, with, with, with the citizens also in terms of what they would like to see for their, for their own city, for their own village? I want to explore with you all before I take the questions that have come in from Slido uh, is consumers, consumer knowledge, and how do we really educate citizens about what they can do, particularly right now as we're dealing with these rising energy prices, and we know that this is a big, big concern for people as they're getting their annual uh, heating and electricity bills. Um, so, Erki, let me put this question to you. How do we inform citizens of the advantages, which are sometimes not evident because the payback isn't immediate, right? Um, how do we motivate homeowners to say, yes, you'll have an upfront cost, but you're going to save money over the long term? Well, as it has been said, uh, it's an investment to renovate, to have a new um, uh, heater or uh, new uh, new appliances. It's an investment, so you expect a return. You have a, 
capital expenditures and operational expenditures. And wh what we see in Europe is you have uh, good and bad practices, uh, good and bad regulation, and that regulation uh, can make or break actually uh, this uh, renovation uh, wave or these in investments. If you look at countries like uh, Finland or Italy or the Netherlands, uh, all of these three countries, for example, they decided to reduce taxes on the OPEX, on the electricity. And that boosted uh, the uh, heat pumps market. And some of them, not all of them, but they supported also the investment, the initial investments. And for the consumer, then it's pretty clear. And actually, for example, companies like ETF, but many others do, eh? but we, we have offers where we there is no need to explain to the consumer, they can understand quite well that we, you do the math, uh, this, is, this is an investment, you have reduced taxes on electricity, so it's cheaper to have electricity compared to, to fossil fuels. And then we, we have, unfortunately, uh, uh, less uh, fortunate uh, experiences in other countries uh, where um, fossil fuel is less taxed than, uh, than electricity, and then it's, it's an uphill battle for, for a consumer to change uh, their uh, equipments and uh, uh, unfortunately this is the case for many member states where you actually have um, not only more taxes on electricity but you, you still have uh, some subsidies and incentives for uh, fossil fuels. It's uh, sometimes when we, when we have a conversation with people who are outside the industry, they think it's a joke because they read everywhere, let's get rid of uh, fossil fuel and imports of, uh, of gas. But actually, you have a lot of incentives in some countries uh, or, uh, and, and you are disincentivized to, to, uh, to switch to uh, lower uh, emission uh, technology. So uh, I think th the, the answer is not simple, but we know what, we know what to do. Uh, we know that reducing taxes on uh, low carbon uh, energy sources is uh, a no regret solution and, and a win-win um, solution. Bryce, uh, what would you say is the best way to educate consumers about what can be done here and also to make sure consumers can actually know their own carbon footprint and, and what they're using? Well, to know what your carbon footprint is, it should be mandatory on the certificates. These famous certificates, it should not only be energy performance, it should also be the carbon footprint, like that <laughs> the, the, the customer will know exactly and can improve its, its footprint or reduce it. And the same thing would be in smart metering. Now you've got these uh, apps, these apps on your phone, you can know exactly what you're consuming. And you, you could have an, alar an, uh, an alarm saying, okay, you're, <laughs> you're, you're going too far, etc. So, I mean, you have lots of means now to, to do it. Of course, we're not going to have every, <laughs> every customer or every consumer to be a, a, an activist. But I mean, it, it goes in that direction. More and more you can do it now with uh, these uh, numerical uh, digital uh, technologies. So I think there's no problem for that. But I would like to come back to one thing, which if my view... I'm surprised that most of the directives of the Fit for 55 are based on Article 194. But Article 194 says nothing about climate change. It's all about energy. And the article which it should be based or mentioned is 191, where you speak about climate change and you can have in your regulations not only the energy efficiency or the, or the carbon footprint, but also the... The, the adaptation to climate change, to winds of 200 kilometers of an hour, etc. That's not in the, in the, in the, in the, at all. 
in, in the new proposal, adaptation to climate change. It probably as a new dimension. So th I think the climate should be in the Article 194, or at least all the, the directives should mention Article 191, which actually speaks of climate change. Let me go to a question that's come in from Slido, from the audience. I actually don't know if these are from you guys watching at home or you in the room, but uh, this one comes from Jules Cordillo from Schneider Electric. Uh, Marianne Giola, let me put this one to you. Uh, now, the discussion so far has been focused on fuel switch and passive renovation, but active energy efficiency, like some of the things you were just talking about, Bryce, controls, monitoring, sensors, digital, uh, has been sidelined in policymaking. Uh, digital technologies can renovate 10 times the space of traditional solutions with the same budget. So how, to we're better, how can we better reflect their role in the EPBD. So, Marangiola, would you agree with the potential of these solutions, and how do you think they could be better referenced in the EPBD? I cannot speak to the potentials because we didn't do any research on on that particular element, so I'm not um, I'm not going to comment on this. I think that the smart solutions are part of, um, of, of the solutions. Um, I, th I also think I, uh, that, um, other, um, that they cannot um, be considered the, the first go-to solutions either. It really depends uh, on, on a number of things, um, not only about you know, the, the characteristics of the buildings, but also um, how they function and how easy it will be for the for the users to actually adjust to those. That being said, um, it is absolutely important to to make sure that uh, we do integrate all potential solutions in in a building. Um, my um, our take on this is that smart solutions could, for example, really be considered where renovation is not possible or where renovation only brings to that much improvement in terms of, of energy performance, so where the intervention on the envelopes and other parts that are more structural cannot be done, integrating smart solutions can be really, really, um, really important. Um, th the reason why we're we, we saying that is because if you live in a leaky building, <laughs> the building remains leaky and uncomfortable no matter how <laughs> those... <laughs> No, if, it, if there are not interventions, uh, structural interventions on, on its envelope. So no matter how smart the solutions that you, that, that you provide, they might not overcome and they might not compensate for, for, for the benefits that, that can be brought in by, um, by, by, by interventions that have the comfort and the well-being of the occupants also at the center of their um, of, 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 of of the attention, and um, I I do think that um, for some solutions, some some uh, for s certain building typologies, um, s most of these solutions are automated. There is a maintenance person; they will take care of this. But some of the solutions that are now um, also um, um, 
provided uh, to to residential uh, building owners might not be that easy um, to to understand and to use. So there is also that component that needs to be taken into account. Not to say that they're not useful, absolutely not. But I think there are there are a number of elements that needed to that need to be taken uh, to be taken into account. Um, in terms of its potential, as I said, um, we've not really researched that in depth. It's true what you say, uh, knowing your own energy consumption isn't that helpful if the heat is pouring out of your windows. I'm thinking of many apartments in Brussels I've had where <laughs> would have been interesting to know, but there was nothing I could do about it. Um, Stefan, do you, do you think that these digital solutions have been adequately taken account of in the EPBD proposal? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, uh, they, they are extremely important as part of the overall, I would say, um, um, toolbox. Um, um, uh, key to success will be user-friendliness. User uh, that's basically everybody, including those who are not uh, digital experts, uh, feel comfortable with them and that they provide uh, useful information for them, for us, uh, because I include myself in that. I'm not a technical digital expert. I simply want to have uh, uh, accessible and useful information uh, and I think a lot can be done to optimize that. Uh, that includes in particular um, uh, information on, on, on how to improve uh, the heating for instance, uh, to target really um, uh, heating and, and cooling um, to, to your needs that you uh, and, and then to consume energy have signals clearly when when to consume when when it's cheaper for instance to have price signals and and be able to react to that and possibly even automatized uh, mechanisms like uh, like the the most important household machines which would then be activated and the same for the for, for heating heating systems are great storage yeah? they can already um, um, heat up the water, for instance, uh, at, at times when, when electricity is cheap or energy generally is cheap. And, and that can be programmed uh, in, in a way which, is, which, is, uh, which, which does it automatically or just requires an initial decision by the, by the, by the, by the inhabitant, by the consumer. And I think uh, without digital and smart solutions, we won't um, um, get there fully. At least we don't exploit the, the full potential. So they're absolutely crucial uh, as part of the solutions um, uh, for, for, for the entire building range. Yeah, to, 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 and then, of course, uh, smart solutions more broadly would also include actually uh, natural uh, shading and, 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 and natural ventilation, uh, uh, measurement of air quality, which I think is also very important because uh, we have to make sure that there are no negative effects from, from good insulation. Uh, these tools are very cheap, very effective, and can then uh, alert uh, inhabitants if there's a need to, uh, to have maintenance, have someone check whether everything is still working fine. So I think there will be uh, a huge potential which can still be exploited, which is not yet fully exploited now. So the next question is for Erki, and it has to do with whether the existing electricity grids can handle all of the new load that would be needed, particularly for heat pumps. So the question comes from Philippe Garrick, uh, who writes, flexibility as per energy efficiency first principle enables systems efficiency. Buildings represent 40% of consumption and often more than 70% of the annual peak demand. Building heating choice has great impacts on renewable integration and infrastructure efficiency. So how do you make them visible in the EPBD? So has the proposal taken into account what's going to be needed for the grids? 
Um, I, I, maybe I'll let uh, Stefan uh, answer to uh, to what extent it, it, this text is uh, taking into account uh, the greed aspect. But uh, uh, to to answer uh, the the question related to volumes of electricity, the answer has been given not by utilities, by the producers, but but by the the TSOs, uh, by the grid uh, managers, and they say that we can cope uh, easily with uh, with more heat pumps on the ground. They will not. Uh, uh, lead to uh, blackout uh, in Europe, including because uh, you have flexibility uh, on on the system, uh, on uh, on the grid uh, flexibility uh, mechanism, and uh, also because heat pumps um, are, uh, as I said, um, more efficient, so to say, uh, by uh, by nature. Again, they produce more energy than they consume. They they, they reduce the greenhouse gas emissions by a factor of 10. It's, it's, it's maybe worth uh, mentioning again. Uh, for the climate, it's good, but for the, for the, the energy consumption, it's good. And I think for the, for the grid as well. Um, and uh, I think that leads back to, to another question, is how we, we um, uh, integrate more uh, uh, electrical solution uh, in a world where the resource is not uh, infinite, in fact. And that's where flexibility uh, plays, plays a major role. Uh, I think we have that into EPBT when we look at mobility, for example, and uh, we believe at EDF, we believe, for example, in the V2G uh, technology. We need to deploy more of these uh, technologies, but we, we believe uh, also in smart charging. You've mentioned uh, the water boilers. Uh, in France, it's already a major source of uh, flexibility, and you can have price signals. You will use your uh, boiler when, uh, when uh, the price is uh, low and uh, use the, the heat from the boiler uh, when the price is high and you can actually do the same uh, with cars and have more flexibility so that leads i mean uh, me to the conclusion you can actually accommodate and use more heat pumps while smart charging or also all the other uh, electrical um, uh, appliances and equipments uh, then for the text i think stefan is uh, is the best person to to answer to your question on the how much the uh, epbd is integrating the grid uh, factor I'll go to you in a, for in a second, Stefan. I just wanted to put one more follow-up question to you, Erki, because we're talking about the grids, but also there's a question here for the electrical systems in the buildings, some of which may become overloaded by a heat pump, for instance. So Quentin de Huil uh, from the European Copper Institute asks, with the impact of electrification, should the EPBD not also address electrical installations inside buildings as a technical building system to ensure their safety, efficiency, smartness, and future readiness? Erki, and then I'll put this to Stefan. Um, I think what what has been already um, uh, what, what we we may have missed already is also to mention uh, the use of that type of technologies for the industry because I, I hear that your uh, uh, that the question is coming from uh, for copper industry. Uh, you these type of technologies are also efficient for the uh, for the industry. Uh, for uh, you, you can use you can use them uh, to get the temperature as high as uh, 100 degrees, for example, for in industrial uh, processes. Um, then for the, uh, the support of these technologies into, into buildings, uh, as it has been said, uh, I think the first, uh, 
the first uh, no regrets uh, gesture is to insulate the, the envelope, the structure, because you can ha have more and more efficient equipment into your building if you have, uh, if your roof is not properly uh, isolated. Then, uh, oh, you've mentioned that also with uh, mentioning uh, uh, Brussels uh, dwellings. It's it's easy to understand that you will miss the target and it will not be the most cost-effective solution. So there is no no need to support for more investment into into smart equipments or even heat pumps if you do not start by insulating and renovating uh, buildings. And I think we have uh, with EPBD uh, this direction is clearly uh, written and incorporated into the text. So Stefan. Is the text adequately addressing the electrification needs both outside on the grid and inside the buildings themselves? Um, thank you. Uh, I think the EPBD is not um, the only instrument. Um, we have also, of course, uh, the uh, the broader electricity and and also um, um, other uh, internal market legislation, which which addresses. Uh, Infrastructure, but also how actually the, uh, the the overall system operates, and the, the adequacy assessments are part of that. Yeah? So, and of course, with the evolution uh, over time, uh, we we have to reassess uh, precisely what will be the uh, the uh, the necessary loads and how do we deal with them? How do we optimize uh, the the management of the energy system? I think I'm losing the thing. <laughs> And um, and the same is, is is true for within the building. And I think uh, the, uh, the 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 the, uh, the capacity of the building, uh, the electrical installation in a building, will have to be reassessed from time to time whether it's still fit for purpose and 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 would possibly have to be upgraded. Yeah? So also to bring in more smartness uh, in a building. Of course, if we have a building from the 60s and, and, and 70s, they are no longer up to standard. Eh? We have that for, uh, for IT uh, and, 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 um, and, and internet uh, users as well. You, you need more performing cables and, and the same for the electrical installations. And I think uh, that will have to be part of the renovation um, uh, reflections. Do we need to improve the cables uh, and how do we actually serve the energy needs of the building? Um, so that, that is in implicit in the uh, assessments to be done uh, on the basis of the EPBD, but also the other uh, energy uh, legislation, which is already in place and, and, and partly on the table again. Uh, so we have a next question here for Bryce. Uh, it's also on this idea of heat pumps and, and whether they're appropriate for all buildings. So uh, John Taylor says, heat pumps on their own in all buildings are not always the best solutions, particularly in old rural buildings. Should citizens also have the options of other renewable fuels or biofuels? Uh, Leonard Wessner from Liquid Gas Europe has the same question. Many rural off-grid communities mostly rely on LPG burned in condensing boilers, which can easily be replaced with renewable alternatives. If renewable alternatives exist, why ban boilers, the technology, rather than non-renewable fuels? Bryce, do you think that this allowance should be made for uh, renewable boilers continuing to exist with renewable fuels, or maybe not, even in rural communities. Quite agree. I mean, there's no problem with that. You can use your wood, <laughs> you can use uh, biogas, you can use uh, 
solar heating. I mean, even solar heating, not electricity, but heating. It's incredible how it's not enough used, I mean, in the south of Europe. I, I, I'm very impressed to see that in Spain or in Israel or in other countries, you have a lot of these solar heaters just for the water. Works very well. And, and for instance, not enough in France. I'm very surprised. So we're trying to, to get that. So I, I quite agree. There's no problem, of course. I mean, each, each I would say, each location has its own solution has its own environment, has its own resources. So we have to be flexible for that. Stefan, is there enough flexibility there in the, in the proposal? And um, is, is it a problem to ban the technology, the boiler, rather than the fuel type? Um, yes, I mean, the, uh, the, the objective is decarbonization and, and, and energy independence, um, uh, getting away from, from fossil fuels. And I think... Um, uh, what we need to ensure is that there are proportionate solutions um, which don't overshoot. Yeah? So if there, are, if there are fuels which are uh, fulfilling the decarbonization objectives, they should, it should be possible to use them. Uh, and the technology uh, using those uh, um, decarbonized fuels should, should still be in place. Yeah? So I think um, otherwise it would be a disproportionate overshooting of regulation, even at the national level. And, and that would be would be then, uh, of course, not, not firstly not useful, and secondly, I would even say uh, um, at least problematic, possibly even illegal, because it, uh, it, it goes too far. Yeah? It's not justified by the objectives being pursued. What we have uh, put in, in, in into the EPBD is indeed a, a legal clarification for member states to, um, to put in place uh, national bans, um, uh, and uh, I would say that, uh, and, and it's clearly said that this has to be proportionate and, 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 and uh, justifiable based on sound objectives and non-discriminatory. Um, and, and I think uh, there um, it, it, we, we have to take care that uh, we don't uh, ban something which, which would be usable for, for actually justifiable objectives, uh, in including decarbonized gases to the extent that these are available or or, or, or other decarbonized or, or low-carbon solutions. Oh, John Taylor has a follow-up question here. It says that the EPBD, the new version, states that uh, specifically renewable sources generated on site and that that might rule out uh, renewable liquid gas and other renewable fuels. It, would, would that language, renewable sources generated on site, rule out those uh, renewable fuels from, that aren't generated on site? Uh, certainly not, uh, because uh, as part of the proposal, um, we have also made clear that uh, there can be uh, national criteria in relation to the energy which, which is still needed, which is not generated on-site. I think the justification for, for on-site generation, and not only on-site, but also through local organization forms, such as energy communities or district heating solutions, that is um, justified by the by the by the attempt to to reduce the pressure on the grid. But it says in the same legal text, even if it's in the annex, but this may be now in the further evolution of uh, of negotiations, be in the main text, which is the same uh, legal standing. Um, that of course there will have to be a residual energy coming from the grid, and 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 that would have to be based on national criteria. Um, and in the end, this is all an optimization. Uh, so an optimization to be done uh, system-wide, what is most cost-effective. Yeah? So, and, and we are absolutely open because we have no, I would say, um, 
uh, agenda uh, to say it has to be local, local, and nothing else. Uh, this this depends on the national energy system, how it's operated, what is actually the capacity of the grid, what is the uh, what are the existing investments in in low carbon renewable or possibly other low carbon sources which are already available. And then a member state can optimize across the entire system what would be the best criteria actually uh, to uh, to provide for that uh, in the in the buildings and also for other purposes of course. I mean buildings are just one part of society. There's industry and and many other um, needs. Um. So if you'll forgive me, Stefan, we have a lot of questions for you. And so I, before we close out, I do want to put them to you because I think it's it's really important that the audience gets very interested in what the commission's thinking is here. So I'm going to put three questions to you. First question is from Stefano Miriello from the European Heat Pump Association. It's about Article 15 of the EPBD, which forecasts that from 2027, member states must no longer provide incentives for the installation of boilers powered by fossil fuels. Should this date be brought forward, given the situation with Russia, is there a risk that that date, 2027, will not be compatible with what's coming out tomorrow with Repower EU? That's question number one. Question number two uh, is about HFC fluid. So that's from Jean-Pierre Oe. Uh, so one of the goals of European policy is to increase deployment of heat pumps, but at the same time, the European Commission proposes to reduce the quantities of HFC fluids placed on the market, uh, which are needed. So the revised F-gas regulation could become a major obstacle to the development of heat pumps. That's question two. And question three, uh, actually question three is also on F-gases. So uh, from Yves Dandon, uh, so heat pumps uh, need F-gas. The F-gas directive could be in contradiction. Uh, how can we reconcile the ambitions of EPBD and this F-gas project? So basically, first question on 2027 phase-out date, second question on the F-gas regulation. Okay, thanks a lot, um, Dave. So uh, indeed, the date of 2027 for... Um, for the, um, for the Commission to have proposed in December uh, the uh, the end of financing for for fossil fuel solutions um, uh, was was based on 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 the balance at the time, uh, which basically considered still uh, fossil fuels, notably natural gas, as a transition solution, which which was justified very much on the basis of even the environmental and climate credentials uh, as a transition fuel, and. Uh, the legal framework uh, for, for financing, which is the Recovery and Resilience Plans and the multi-annual financial framework, which basically has a planning horizon until 2027. And some member states had already agreed with the Commission, but also put in place uh, financing for, 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 for such uh, fossil fuel solutions, notably gas, uh, until then. So legal certainty, basically, and, and making sure that we have a, a balanced transition, basically. Um, um, now, of course, with the Russian aggression uh, on 24th of February, um, we are confronted with a situation that uh, the political objective in itself is to, to actually uh, phase out uh, natural gas or reduce at least the consumption of, of natural gas much more quickly because we know that we won't, at least at reasonable prices, um, be able to replace all the, uh, the Russian gas uh, within... Uh, a reasonable time or possibly not at all at, at acceptable prices yeah? so for that reason um, um, 
there's a very strong argument for saying actually 2027 is far too late. Yeah? So it should, there should be no financing uh, anymore of uh, solutions which we would actually no longer need. Um, and, uh, and we should get out of that more quickly than so far foreseen or until then foreseen. Um, but it's, it's indeed uh, a tricky thing because um, uh, some member states have already um, put in place basically a, a framework at national level which provides for that. So they would have to take uh, at least reflect very strongly whether they can actually modify that uh, as a reaction to the, to the urgent need to, to phase out uh, natural gas at least for heating and cooling of buildings more quickly because natural gas is a very precious good. It's much more expensive now, projected also for the foreseeable future. And we need that, I would say, primarily for industry. Yeah? So uh, because for, for, for buildings, we have alternatives. Yeah? And uh, as a production factor for industrial processes, fertilizers, chemical industry, we don't have an alternative. So we need that. We have a current prioritization in an emergency for households uh, with industry being cut off. But we don't want, of course, the deindustrialization of Europe. We have to, from a structural point of view, put a certain priority on industry and try to get out of uh, the, this precious commodity for heating and cooling of homes, of buildings, more quickly because we have alternatives. So that is the, the difficult balancing act. And I think um, this is on the agenda of the co-legislators and, and also the commission might pronounce itself. I don't know what happens tomorrow, but it's clearly the question is, can we do it more quickly? Um, so that uh, by anticipating basically the date. Then on gases, uh, that's also a very careful uh, balancing act to make here. Because on the one hand, we want to improve as quickly as possible the climate uh, performance of heat pumps. Uh, F-gases are uh, dangerous for the climate. Of course, there are safeguards, that no, there are no leaks, etc. But the whole F-gas regulation is, of course, uh, uh, there in order to uh, improve the climate performance of heat pumps. Because there can always be leaks. Huh? So that's, that is simply... Uh, uh, an unfortunate phenomenon which, which, which can take place. At the same time, we need to accelerate very much um, the, the, the number and increase the number of heat pumps. Uh, so this is the balancing act to make. Um, how do we make sure that we get out of F-gases as quickly as possible while accelerating um, uh, the deployment of heat pumps? And, um, and at, the, at the same time, of course, avoid leaks uh, through uh, appropriate safeguards in the heat pumps. Um, so the trick is always a transition period. Yeah? So to recognize that we can't do it immediately, but as quickly as possible, the, 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 the proposal on the table by the commission has tried, based on technical assessments, tried to strike the balance. Uh, this, of course, is now also on the table of the co-legislators. We are aware of the, the challenges, the constraints, and also the, the concerns uh, by, by stakeholders. Um, but at the same time, uh, the assessment has actually looked at alternative technologies which are less climate um, problematic or more climate friendly, uh, to put it positively. And, and, and that is actually the, the question, is it technically possible to do this uh, while increasing the number? And, and, and the FGAS proposal is a college proposal from the Commission where, of course, we in DG Energy also have been involved and, and, and think this makes the trick but of course this is a legislative negotiation now we need to look at all the arguments very carefully and see what is the optimal balance between on the one hand increasing the number of heat pumps as quickly as we need that and uh, ensuring the climate uh, performance of the heat pumps 
For sure. So watch this space. I think some important signals for the co-legislators there. A uh, very interesting discussion. I want to thank all of our panelists for some great insights and also to the audience for asking some great questions. And thank you to all of you at home for following along with us this afternoon. We've got a big day tomorrow in the energy world, so we're all going to rest up and prepare for tomorrow. So thank you very much, and I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Thank you, guys.